When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In this episode, we focus on what you can expect at occupational therapy and touch on the common reasons your child may be referred, as well as discuss examples of activities your child may work on during their sessions. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. So I wanted to do a episode on occupational therapy as our first therapy that we were going to review because we actually found occupational therapy to be the most beneficial of all the therapies our children have done. Both of our girls were in occupational therapy for similar reasons and also slightly different reasons, but we mostly put them through it because they had fine motor delays and one of our children had hypotonia, which is low muscle tone, so she needed it for that as well. And most importantly, I would say they went there primarily for sensory integration, right? Yeah, I think it was a combination of what actually got us referred um, for our oldest daughter. I remember uh, she was having trouble. I think we at first started with eating food. Feeding therapy. Feeding therapy, right. And I think that's what first got us kind of on the the list to take part in OT. Yeah, so, so OT is a common abbreviation for occupational therapy. And just in a little bit of a nutshell, occupational therapists essentially work with both children and adults that are autistic. And what they aim to do is help them better perform activities that are part of daily living and daily tasks. So they might work towards a bunch of different goals that are custom tailored to your child's specific needs. And this can be something as basic as improving their handwriting to help them out in school or some play skills to help them socialize with other children to things like sensory integration, which is what our children focus more on. And they also try to help the child improve their ability to participate in activities of daily life. So that might include anything from being able to complete their schoolwork or being able to brush their teeth or tie their shoes or anything like that. They give kind of like a holistic approach to how to get your child to successfully go through life through various components. So including a little bit of gross motor, fine motor, uh, sensory integration, and all sorts of things like that. I was going to say, it's interesting because it seems like OT is kind of an overview of a combination of multiple different therapies. So um, we would have components that would probably touch on physical therapy as far as kind of working with um, like the swing, for example, because our our daughter had low muscle tone. So it kind of worked in a little bit focusing on some of the core in that component. It also touched on some of the speech components for speech therapy as far as having her requesting things as well. And then even I think we had um, thought about that it also brought in the floor time therapy as well. So it seems that it is kind of a broad overview incorporating many different therapies, but then at the same time, it is very selective on individual components that are important for whatever your child is struggling with at the time. 
Right. So, so what's interesting about occupational therapy is, like you said, it does overlap a lot with other therapies. So it overlaps a little bit with speech therapy, it overlaps a little bit with physical therapy, and it overlaps with floor time therapy, which is an alternative to ABA therapy. And the, the reason, though, is because there are components that are similar, but OT tends to do a more laser-focused assessment of that area, and it tends to be more specific to, like, this the sensory integration aspect of that thing. So, for example, physical therapy. In physical therapy, they might focus more on gross motor activities, and they might put your kid on a swing, right? But in occupational therapy, they will also put your child on a swing. The difference between occupational and physical therapy, though, is that the occupational therapist is looking more for sensory regulation input or vestibular input, which is basically they're putting your child on the swing to help them with their sensory integration. So if your child needs more sensory input because they are under sensitive, they might put them on the swing to get that sensory input, whereas the physical therapist would put them on that swing to help them with like, for example, core muscle strength or something like that. So they do similar things, but they're looking for a different outcome, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a good clarification there. <laughs> <laughs> it gets it gets tricky because they do do a lot of similar things. So in sensory, they also do some kind of core stabilizing activities. So like one of the things that our child did is they had these little suction cups that you might use to pluck off of a window. And they were working on fine motor skills. And so she was learning on doing the pincer grab to be able to grab it and pull off the suction cup from the window. But ironically, they also used the same thing in physical therapy, but for a different reason. So it it does overlap. So in occupational therapy, they have a bunch of different focuses. One of them for us was due to our first child's hypotonia, which is low muscle tone that kind of results in weak muscles. And because of that, She had difficulty with body posture and being able to sit properly and things like that. She had difficulty feeding herself because she couldn't quite work a spoon or a utensil very well. So in occupational therapy, they were finding ways to help her accommodate and work more efficiently with being able to, for example, feed herself. And I think it even went beyond that. So, I mean, when we think about feeding ourselves, we we would think of the, okay, can I use a spoon or fork or my hand to put the food in my mouth? But even once the food is in your mouth, we, we still had the occupational therapist actually look at how she was actually chewing the food. From the very start, she preferred very soft foods that were kind of bland. And then even then, we weren't really sure if she was using her kind of back molar, well, where her, molars, te- <laughs> where her molars would be um, to kind of uh, chew the food. We thought she was just chewing with her front teeth and we had to work with the occupational therapist to make sure that she was actually chewing a little bit tougher, like a chicken nugget, for example, that she's actually using her, her back teeth to actually chew and grind the food a little bit better. Yeah, we're having a hard time because she didn't technically have the back <laughs> teeth, so we don't know gumming. what to call them. Yeah, she's like <laughs> gumming, gumming her it. food. <laughs> yeah, so like that was something that we wouldn't have caught if it wasn't for occupational therapy. So the occupational therapists, they basically were able to see that she did in fact have hypotonia, and they saw that it was actually affecting her ability to eat because low muscle tone affects different parts of your body, and one of them was her jaw. And they said that they could kind of tell because she had kind of chubbier cheeks on the lower jaw area, 
which meant that those muscles weren't really being worked efficiently. And they found out that essentially when she was trying to chew the harder foods, she had a harder time because her muscles weren't able to do that as efficiently. So they gave us a bunch of tips. I remember one of the things that they said was getting her to chew on chewy tubes. And they were telling us to do like a daily activity at home where you would take a chewy tube and get them to bite on it from left to right all the way across and just get her to practice using those muscles in her mouth. Right. And then even as far as her being able to use a utensil to feed herself, we were having trouble with that because we would have a a standard spoon that's straight and she wouldn't understand if I turn the spoon, I can get it in my mouth instead of just smashing it kind of into my face and having all the food kind of fall off of it. So we had to kind of work with her very slowly to kind of transition as far as being able to turn the spoon. And we actually went out and had gotten some uh, specialized spoons that you're able to kind of bend. So we were able to bend them at a small angle, which allowed her to scoop the food. And then she didn't have to turn the spoon as far as she normally would with a regular spoon. She would only have to turn it a fraction of a degree. (laughs) I'm not sure how to really explain that. So what it is, is, um, I actually had the idea of the spoons because I had seen them on Amazon at one point and I thought it might work out. So what we did is we got these spoons that bend and because you can bend them in increments, you can essentially start with a very like almost 45 degree angle bend and gradually straighten the utensil until she learns to turn it the proper direction. So the issue that she was having and still continues to have to this day was part of kind of a motor planning issue, which they also work on in occupational therapy. And the motor planning is basically having a difficulty and being able to initiate movements with your body. So it's like, you have the idea in your head, but you have a hard time kind of initiating that movement. So in occupational therapy with the feeding therapy in particular, we were practicing on initiating that motor movement of picking up the spoon scooping some rice in it, and then turning it and bringing it towards your mouth. So if you think about that, for us, that's really easy and kind of instinctive, but it actually has a lot of steps. So we worked through the OT to gradually get her step by step to be able to do that. And now she eats with a spoon like a pro. Right. And I I think the helpful transition that we started off with, at first, we would be feeding her with the spoon. Then we'd be holding, I think what you hold her hand with the spoon. Yeah. And then you, I think they call it fading. Okay. Right. And then you move your hand back. So you're holding her like forearm as she's holding the spoon. And then finally, I think you're at like the elbow, the elbow or yeah. something. So she's doing the majority of the work and you're just kind of guiding. And then from there, basically kind of a hands off. And then she's kind of flying on her own, like a baby. bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like that technique is used a lot in occupational therapy. It's like a prompting, like a physical prompting to help them kind of get get it going, and then you gradually fade out until they're doing it on their own. So for her, occupational therapy initially was mostly focused on feeding, but the feeding wasn't just the fine motor skill. It wasn't just like the motor planning issue. The other issue with the feeding for her was the sensory component where she was very much focused on specific textures of foods that she could do. She really liked carbs and things that were kind of like plain or crunchy. So feeding therapy also integrates helping the children expand on that sensory aspect as well. So it's interesting because both of our kids actually had feeding concerns, but they were kind of 
drastically different. different. For her, it was kind of the bland foods, and she didn't want really much um, kind of exploring new new flavors and things. And then for our other one, she didn't want solid food for the longest time. Yeah. And it, I remember it was quite a struggle just to get her to try and eat anything. I mean, it was, it was very limited. But, I mean, it, it's just interesting because it, each of the occupational therapies tailored very specifically to the individual child. And it's not just the, the standard, oh, okay, let's go on a swing and let's see how things go. It's, it's, it's granular that they're looking at the very specific struggle that your child has and working with them on that, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why OT is one of my favorite therapies, because both of our children went to occupational therapy, but they both had completely different sensory profiles initially. Now they kind of overlap, but initially they were very different. So our second child, she also went to feeding therapy with an occupational therapist, but it was for very different reasons. She didn't have any sort of fine motor control issues at all, but she was essentially refusing to eat solid foods. So she was on baby food purees for, gosh, almost two years. Yeah, almost until she was basically, I mean, basically two. Yeah, yeah like she was eating baby food basically up until like early two-year-old. And so we were working with occupational therapists, mostly with her, to get her comfortable with trying different textures of foods. So we weren't even worried about the flavors because it didn't seem like she had issues with flavors, but she had issues with textures. Right. And I mean, that just kind of shows you that it goes beyond just the concept of the, the physical component of feeding yourself. It also goes to, okay, the sensory versus a puree versus an actual food that you actually have to chew versus our other daughter who's focused on the flavor of the food, but it's actual food. So it's just kind of interesting to see how the sensory component kind of plays a factor there. Yeah. And the other interesting cross comparison is that our first child had hypotonia, but our second child did not. Our second child actually was gross motor advanced. She actually started walking at nine nine months months, old, I think. So she didn't have any of those issues. But the other thing that we noticed that was also kind of opposite that was worked on in therapy was also their reactions to water. So like our first child, she was a huge water baby. I mean, it was to the point where she's the she's the type of autistic child that you really have to watch around bodies of water right. she, because she'll she run to it. Yeah, she'll run straight to it. She'll go into the beach or the ocean completely disregarding any danger. But our other child was like terrified of water. And we we didn't really know it until that one day where she accidentally spilled a cup of water on herself. Right. It it didn't actually, and I don't think it actually clicked that day either that that's what the situation was. She had picked up a glass of, I think, ice water that you were drinking or I was drinking, and she accidentally tried to drink it herself and spilled it on her entire front. And she just froze like a, a deer in headlights. And we thought it was just she was just shocked that she had spilled the water. But I think it took a little while for us to realize like it was the water, not necessarily that she was just in shock. It was, she was just terrified of, I mean, water. Water. Yeah. So at our last place, we had a shower that didn't have a bath. So we had to have her take showers essentially. And I remember the bottom of that shower had a pebble floor. Mm -hmm. And because it had a pebble floor, it was really bumpy. And honestly, I didn't even like it. So when she went in there, she would kind of walk with her hands up, looking down on the floor and just kind of freeze when we would give her a bath slash shower. And I always thought that it was just the textures of the rock that she wasn't liking. So when we moved to a new place, 
face and we no longer had that texture. We had a standard smooth textured tub. I was really surprised when we then tried to give her a bath there and she was in like full blown panic. Like she, as soon as she heard the water rushing into the bathtub, she would be clawing us and trying to climb out. She'd be freaking out. Like she did not want to touch the water at all. Right. I remember it took at least a couple of months working with the occupational therapist, kind of slowly transitioning, kind of changing one element of bath time until she was actually sitting in the bath and didn't have any trouble from there. But I remember it was a very slow approach at first you're getting her in the bathtub without any water just to kind of get used to, okay, this is the dimensions of the bathtub and this is how everything works. And then slowly getting her exposed to, okay, this is water. It's safe. We actually found out that we had to, I think what changed the temperature. I think we had to make it lukewarm. So it wasn't, either hot or cold she just wanted lukewarm right and then the other component was she would be taking bath time with her sister and her sister loves (laughs) water so she'd be splashing so we had to remove her sister until we kind of got her used to just being in the bath on her own and i just remember it was very baby steps until she's actually able to be in the bathtub and i mean now thankfully i was laughing the other day when we were giving them a bath they're both in the bathtub kind of lying down kind of trying to (laughs) (laughs) she goes nuts now yeah so i mean i mean thankfully we were able to get over that hurdle and i mean thankfully she's she's okay with doing bath time with her sister so we kind of were able to get over that and and that is why we are such huge fans of occupational therapy because like with our kids they went into occupational therapy having pretty significant issues i mean like they weren't eating we couldn't get them to like do any sort of fine motor type of tasks correctly we couldn't get them into the bathtub at least for the younger one with the older one we couldn't get her away from water so it was dangerous they were both elopers like we had all these issues that for the most part have been primarily resolved, they still go to occupational therapy because they still have ongoing issues. And I know the occupational therapist said that for the youngest one, her sensory needs are so extreme that it seems like she might need OT for a large portion of her life. But just the progress that we've seen so far that now she goes from terrified from the bath to being able to do it. It's been like a great help for us. But the one thing that I did learn from occupational therapy is you really need to be patient about it because, for example, the water thing, it took us at least a month, if not a month and a half of slow starting off giving a bath with no water and just using baby wipes while she's in the bath to get her used to the tub, to then adding toys, to then adding a fraction of water just to get wet. And just gradually increasing the water over time to get her used to it. So it's not like a quick overnight fix. Right. And I think that, I mean, honestly, the thing that I love about our, our particular occupational therapist is she's very playful with the the new thing that she's trying to expose her to. So she was giving us advice because she, when she was playing in the rain, she'd freeze and be terrified and not move. She'd just stand still in the rain as the rain's pouring down on her. And she was giving advice as far as how to get her to be comfortable with the rain. So she would say, okay, take her out with like an umbrella and then kind of move the umbrella and kind of say, oh, we're getting wet and move the umbrella back. So you turn it into a fun experience that you show her you're perfectly safe. I'm taking care of you. I am well aware that it's raining out. I know there's sounds that might be scary that you're not used to the loud sound of the rain. I And just kind of doing it in a playful way. And I, I think we've seen kind of throughout the process that any new experience that we're trying to expose her to, she is doing it in kind of a playful way. So our daughter is kind of interested or 
she's she's curious at least i would say at least too that she wants to try the new exposure just a little bit and that right keep going from there yeah and a good ot will gamify therapy with your child they'll make it fun they'll make it lighthearted, and they will let your child lead that's why we mentioned floor time a lot of occupational therapists are trained in like the floor time method which is again our preferred alternative to aba therapy and it's basically kind of like a child-led therapy so it, it means that the occupational therapist is not forcing your child to do anything that your child doesn't want to do there's no drilling nothing like that they kind of just feel out what your child likes and if your child is attracted to a particular toy or anything like that, they'll just use that moment as an opportunity to teach something to your child or help them with a certain task. They don't ever tell the child what to do. They just give them a bunch of options and whatever the child chooses is where they head. So that was one of the reasons I really liked that. And I think it's a ongoing therapy, basically, Uh, just because, I mean, yes, we were able to get over a few obstacles that we had been struggling with as far as the food and the water. But I mean, we're still working with our occupational therapists for our youngest one as far as putting on and taking off shoes, socks, kind of getting dressed. And I mean, I think even for the older kids, it it would still play a relevant role in a day-to-day life exposure. Yeah, so some possible goals that they might do in occupational therapy, they range from things like academic goals. And these can be things like how to use scissors properly, how to print letters legibly for your homework assignments, how to use a paintbrush correctly so that you can participate in art class in school, to things that are more like daily living. So that's more like how to brush your teeth independently or button your jacket, how to zip up your coat or tie your shoes to be able to do it on your own without support. But the third area that people don't think about either is social functioning. So some of the things that they help or focus on is some autistic children lack imitative skills, which means Usually a baby has like mirror neurons, which means like they mimic what they see. So when you're doing a social interaction, a lot of children will learn just by watching their parents or siblings do something and then they'll mimic that. That's something that tends to be lacking in autism. So in occupational therapy, they might help children learn play skills and other skills that normally a child doesn't have to be taught. They just learn. But again, since that's difficult for the autistic child, they might get that through occupational therapy. And the other thing that they help do is help children engage in socialization by kind of teaching them how to engage in sort of physical play activities in group settings and stuff like that. So it's not social in the sense that they teach them how to communicate with the other child specifically, but they teach them things like, oh, this is how you play throw and catch, or this is how you jump on a trampoline, or this is how you use a swing independently. That way they are capable of going out to your local playground and they can play with other kids because they can do all those things independently. And I guess I felt (laughs) when I learned that, I kind of felt dumb because I always thought, okay, socialization, are you able to talk to another kid? And and that's (laughs) kind of it. And then I was thinking, I was like, oh no, okay. I mean, if a kid invites you to go on the merry-go-round, for example, and you can't because you lack, I mean, the various components of sensory components to being able to climb onto the merry go around, hold on and be okay spinning around, then you're not able to socialize in the same way that, I mean, up here might want you to. I mean, it's the same thing when we go to the park. I mean, we're, we're kind of on top of our girls because they have struggles with spatial awareness and their judgment might be a little off, making sure that they're not falling off of the playground, getting hurt. We have to make sure that they see that there's a step down 
and that they actually are stepping down holding a railing or something. So it is very helpful to know that that is one of the areas that they focus on kind of moving forward. Yeah, actually, that's great that you mentioned that because that's another fantastic thing that we've gotten from OT is they do work specifically on spatial awareness and coordination, and they will do it in specific contexts that are relevant to your child, like playing on a playground, how to work on spatial awareness while swinging or while climbing. And when they do that, they actually give you a little bit of bonus physical therapy in there by accident, just because you kind of have to have physical work when you're climbing things. But they also work on emotional and cognitive skills in the sense that they're trying to train your brain to be aware of your social like your spatial surroundings so like one example is like our kid we initially brought her to the playground one time and her spatial awareness was so off that when she went running down the playground equipment there's actually a part of the playground that is like the gym that's actually opened because there's like some sort of climbing equipment there that kids use but she didn't realize that it was open so she just kept running and just kind of fell right off and it seems it seems like obvious to somebody like, oh, there's a giant gap here. Obviously, you're going to fall if you go through it. But she had no sense of spatial awareness. So she just kept going with the faith that something would be there to catch her. And I remember uh, both my parents had gone with me to the park with the two girls. And I remember them not thinking about it at first, but then they became ultimately terrified because and they told me later they were saying that. She wasn't noticing that there were openings that she could easily fall out of. So they became, I mean, they were going to the park, I mean, similar to how they would with me when I was younger. And then they realized like, oh no, okay, I need to make sure I'm actually paying attention to where all the different openings of the playground are if you're kind of going on an elevated ramp, for example, that you don't fall off. So, I mean, it is just another element to kind of just consider if if you're with people who don't necessarily live that on a day-to-day, that they are aware that this is a struggle that some uh, children kind of need to work on. Yes. So that's definitely something that our eyes were kind of open to during occupational therapy. And then some of the ways that they might help your specific child out as well can be simple things like helping your child strengthen their hands, their legs, their core. They might do this through different activities that they have for your child that'll focus on these areas. They might provide your child with tools that can help them like weighted vests, or let's say they need like a larger pencil to help accommodate while they work on the fine motor skill. Um, They might do some techniques or give some sort of assistive devices to help with focus and making tasks just generally easier. There's also some occupational therapists that will work directly with parents. That was something that we got to do at our program that was extremely beneficial because the OT would work directly with us and then show us exactly how we can continue the therapy that's in the clinic and practice it at home so that we could continue working with our child. Yeah, I think that was big that, I mean, and actually, um, I, I think it went even beyond the OT. I think if you have a good therapist and they realize, I mean, the point of the therapy isn't just, oh, I want to take your money for the hour that you're in the session and then come back and get the therapy next week, that they actually bring you in and actually show you the different techniques so you are able to continue the therapy outside of it. So, I mean, you think about, okay, if I have therapy once a week for an hour versus if I'm basically living therapy every single day because my parents know how to work with me because they learned the different tasks I'm working on in therapy, you're going to cover much more ground just, I mean, just naturally. 
Yeah. So like that was super beneficial to us. And then the biggest thing that I think that we got from there was a really good understanding of the sensory system and sensory integration. They taught us a lot of techniques that were relevant to our specific children. So if they were hypersensitive or hyposensitive, which is basically over or under reactive to certain sensory input, they taught us how to handle it. So things like swinging, brushing, jumping, pushing, squeezing, rolling them on the ground, or slowly exposing them to different sounds like whistles and things like that. We were taught all these techniques to help for things like my child spinning in circles all the time and needing to crash into the couch all the time. They gave us techniques to be able to minimize the spitting because she was getting hurt. So it was really important for us to get all those techniques, especially with our second child who is extremely hyperactive, to help her kind of get the sensory input that she needed. And now she's much calmer because she knows how to get that input. I think that was a real game changer because I don't have a, a problem as far as like with like stimming, but when it becomes dangerous and you're worried about them getting hurt when they are like our youngest daughter spinning around or just running and falling on the ground or running into objects, I mean, that might not be <laughs> soft. I, I mean, it kind of takes it to another level and you, you have to think, okay, how can I use her stimming in a, a way that won't get her hurt. And um, that kind of touched on, I think, uh, was it called heavy, heavy work? Yeah, heavy work. That we had kind of worked with our occupational therapist on as far as trying to get her to do, I guess, work in a way that slows down her motion. So she's actually doing something that causes a lot or takes a lot of energy to do at a slow pace. I'm not sure yeah, if that's the best like, way Yeah, to no, that's it. good. It's like putting <laughs> books in a basket and having her push it because she would have to exert a lot of energy to push a heavy, you know, well, heavy to her. It's not very heavy to us because it's right. for a toddler. She would have to exert a lot of energy to do that task. So it's called heavy work because it helps her do that. So one of the things we did is like we have this spinning lazy boy. And I mean, it's really not that heavy, but for a two-year-old just pushing it to spin it, that was perfect for her because she got both the spinning sensation and the heavy work and it would calm her down so she wouldn't be running around and falling. And one of the major things that OT helped us with this was actually her headbanging behavior. So she used to headbang and we were really worried about it because we couldn't really stop it and we realized that it was happening at night. So we weren't even aware of it until we caught it on camera one time. And we learned that essentially it was sensory seeking behavior. And through OT and the tools that they gave us, so techniques, they told us put tight fitting clothes on her, put like a little hoodie on her head or like a little cap, um, give her socks, give her mittens, give her sensory input during bedtime and put like pillows around her or bumpers, things like that. So that when she's in bed, she has sensory input and doesn't go seeking it through headbanging. And as soon as we did that, it stopped. Like it took a little bit of a transition time where she was doing it a little bit here and there, but eventually it just completely stopped. And I think even, I mean, somewhat recently as well, uh, we actually moved like a little bouncy horse into her room. So at night, if she's still, if she wakes up in the middle of the night, we noticed that she would be crying and want and calling out for us because she wanted to be like rocked in a rocking chair. And it would be like midnight one in the morning. And we were working with our occupational therapist because we're like, it's, she'll wake up and be crying for 20 minutes, half an hour, just straight. 
just requesting to be rocked. And so she had recommended cause she knew that we had like a little bouncy horse for her to move that into her room. And um, we also moved like a little plastic slide in her room as well. And we noticed that um, sometimes when she wakes up during the night, she might get out of her little bed and she'll bounce on the horse a little bit, but she's tired. So she'll kind of just fall asleep. I mean, right on the pillows on the floor right there. Right. So the key was, us providing her with alternative avenues to get the sensory needs met without her needing to have me go in there and bring her to a rocking chair, rock her and give her that sensory input. So by putting the bouncy horse, the slide and like this little rocking boat that we had in her room, she was able to learn to self-regulate. And these are things that the occupational therapist will work with you and your child to give you techniques on how to specifically tailor those to your child's. So with that said, again, we think occupational therapy for us specifically was probably the most beneficial, but we will talk about the PT and ABA therapy in future episodes as well, because we do think it's important to talk about different ones, but we started off with this one because it was definitely, in our opinion, most... It's the MacGyver of therapies. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the most beneficial. So highly, highly, highly recommend occupational therapy if you feel like your child needs it or would benefit from it. To recap, in this episode, we discuss various skills your child may work on in occupational therapy to include heavy work, feeding therapy, sensory regulation, and particular problem areas such as head banging. If you think your child may benefit for occupational therapy, contact one near you. Thanks for listening to Embracing Autism. Join us next time when we discuss physical therapy and answer questions such as, how can my child benefit from physical therapy? What are some common activities my child may be asked to perform? And what are some potential goals? This has been Embracing Autism. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.